0: And stay tuned. Coming up next is an encore presentation of Sunny in Seattle. Sunny decided to take the day off today for a little bit of R&R. And until then, we're going to bring to you a show she did back in 2019 with divine abundance expert, Tosha Silver. Welcome
1: to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes spiritual teacher and author, Tosha Silver. And the two of them will be discussing her latest book, It's
0: not your money. How to live fully from divine abundance. So, tune in and learn how we can become abundance instead of chasing it, so you can radically release the burden of financial fears. And now, I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy.
1: And good morning everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host Sunny Joy McMillan and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKW, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And of course, if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. And my website, if you'd like to reach out and find out more about me, connect with me for coaching, uh, you can do that by going to goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. Benny, quick check in. How are you doing? doing pretty good looking forward to some abundance oh yeah we can all use some of that right I know (laughs) well this is the person to be talking to about that we'll just dive right on into content today um, because I have more questions than I even normally have so (laughs) in this interview I have to say I've been looking forward to um, for years I have uh, wanted to interview Tosha Silver and today we are going to do that so yay Um, so for those who are not familiar with her work which I Imagine there aren't very many, I'm sure most of you out there have uh, several of her books on your shelf, but Tosha graduated from Yale with a degree in English literature, but along the way, fell madly in love with yogic philosophy. For the past 30 years, she's taught people around the world Uh, Ways to Align with Inner Love. She's the author of Outrageous Openness, Change Me Prayers, and Make Me Your Own. She lives near San Francisco, where she runs an online school called Living Outrageous Openness, which offers ongoing support to those who follow these beautiful ancient practices. Tosha particularly enjoys finding fresh, funny ways to embrace the divine while avoiding conventional jargon and cliches at all costs. She loves how the sacred and mundane are truly one. Love itself begins to lead when it is sincerely invited by anyone. The universe is a divine party. Come as you are. And I just have to add here another little bio. This comes from Dr. Lissa Rankin um, in her book, um, Anatomy of a Calling, which I just happened to reread in the last several weeks, which is pretty good timing because she has collaborated with, with Tosha before. So Dr. Lissa Rankin describes her as Yale educated, spiky haired tattooed, ex-astrology reading, Hindu goddess worshiping, Jew who loves Jesus. Jesus, wisdom-keeping, spiritual teaching, Tosha. Um, so if you want to find out more about her during the show, just go to her website, ToshaSilver.com. And I mentioned a moment ago the Living Outrageous, Living Outrageous Openness program. Um, I cannot recommend this highly enough, and I'm just going to say it here at the beginning, and we'll we'll talk about it a little more during the show. But I have been a member of that community um, in past years, and I will tell you it has been some of the most meaningful work, uh, and it, the the weekly calls that Tosha does through this program really carried me through a pretty difficult time in my life. Um, and it was the thing that just allowed me to get out of bed in the morning and be brave enough to take some steps was learning how to let the divine take the lead and offering, um, which she does so beautifully. So in any event, with all of that, uh, lead up Tosha, welcome to sunny in Seattle,
0: Thank you, Sonny. That was really wonderful. It was lovely to be here.
1: Oh, I well, was so excited to have you. Well, I want to just um, actually start, you know, before we even dive in, um, you use a lot of words to describe the divine and God. And I know for me personally, your work really helped me embrace the concept of God again, because um, I kind of, I know as many people who, who have come to your work, it's an entry point where maybe you've had some religious wounding in the past, and so you allowed me to come back to God. But the terminology you use is very interchangeable, and I just I was wondering if you could kind of set the stage as we talk today, so people can know they can use the words they want to use.
0: Yeah, you know, it is funny what you're saying. I, I this work tends to attract a wide range of people, but one one part of the spectrum are people that they were. You know, just the words God or, you know, it had carried this inundation of, of you know, being let, left behind or being hurt or being disappointed or being punished or that there was this idea that there was somebody in the sky who was keeping score as if this was like Olympic gymnastics or something. <laughs> and, you know, all of this was the stuff that people were writing to me about, you know, from the book and so what the way that I've worked with it in in all the different writing is to really come to this force of love and in the book I use in the latest book and you know it's not your money I use a lot of different words and often enough I'll just call it love or call it uh, the force of compassion or call it the divine or call it the mother instead of only calling it the father or call it the friend, which is the way that Rumi and Hafez and the Sufis address this energy. And and then for some people, as you know, because you were in the forum, that there were people that really didn't even want to put a word to it. And I like that, too, that, you know, that if you're just, Embracing this as your deepest self, you know, as opposed to some externalized thing that we're trying to get things from, it really transforms the issue.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Oh, just that I would say my general feeling about language is that people come with the words that work for them. and. Uh, The the other thing I wanted to say about that, just because it's really been on my mind even this week, is that somebody was talking to me this week and saying, you know, I feel bereft by God. I feel abandoned. I feel like I pray for all these things and they don't happen. And I just said, "What, what if you just forget about the idea of God as something external and begin to take care of the child on the inside who feels, Abandoned and disappointed. Because you'll find if you turn the lens inside and you become the caretaker of that kid, that's where God starts to emerge.
1: Exactly. And that was, I'm so glad you went there because that's another thing that I wanted to mention before we um, really dive into the content of this latest book, It's Not Your Money. Um, this was another reason that I was really attracted to your work because I found it to be incredibly empowering because for so many years I was told that God was just an external force and that I was the helpless, submissive human who was powerless. And then there was God. And the way that you have talked about it, and I would love it if you would speak on this a little bit, is this is we are talking as much to the force that exists outside of us as to the piece of it that exists inside of us that collaborates it's like a joint thing and you have this beautiful i've used this in so many of my prayers now but that you end a lot of your prayers with um either i am i am yours you are mine we are one all as well or the one from the full abundance change me prayer you are me i am you we are one all as well and it's like this it's very empowering to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I found that to be a very big part of this work. And not to be confused with t- turning to the ego self and saying, yes, every single thing the ego wants is God. So, you know, we are God. And if the ego wants to, like, go turn the world upside down, then it can just say that's the divine will. Right. I don't mean it that way, which is sometimes I think it gets mistaken as, I mean that, you know, the, the great self exists in everything, and so would exist inside of us no less than it would exist in a tree or in, you know, a sonata by Mozart, that it, it is just the glue that holds everything together, and that if you begin to contact that force of love on the inside, you start to feel the connection between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. So yes, I I agree. It's pretty central.
1: Yeah. And, and then also another thing that I wanted to mention before we start talking about more of the contents of the book and how you came to this work, but you say this is not self-help. This is divine help. Uh, How can, how do you explain that?
0: Well, I have to say it's pretty funny because if you look at, The book, all these these books I've done, they all end up in Amazon in the self-help section, which (laughs) I actually find very entertaining on one level because I think it kind of lures people. People are hanging out in self-help. They find this. They're like, oh, another self-help book. Then they start reading it, and they get me these letters, and they say, oh, my God, I never realized how much all I was trying to do was control and improve my condition. It was basically my ego in the way. I almost said my ego in the way, but what I meant to say is my ego in the lead saying, now I want this, now I want that. How can I get more empowered so that this looks better or that looks better? There's nothing wrong with that as a stage along the way. I think for some people they do need to get a stronger ego in order to even survive. But at some point, once you've gotten a little bit of that piece, you really start to see the limitations of it because there's something beyond that limited self that really changes the entire experience once it's invited in. So all of these books have really been about, I call it, instead of uh, improving the furniture in the prison cell, how to actually open the prison and block out. And I would say a lot of self-help, you know, God bless it. It's it's useful, as I say, but it's about redecorating the self. Yeah. Which is why so often when so many of those wish lists happen, the person still, you know, comes to me and says, well, I I still wasn't happy. Or I had it and I lost it. So what good was that? So it really isn't to me until the great self is invited to really lead the show.
1: Yeah. And I just what you said there, I before I would have had words, uh, didn't know about the law of attraction and wouldn't have known what a vision board was or an intention list. But I did that in my old life when I got married to the man I got married to and went into the practice of law and had it was like winning the the small self lottery. Everything I had (laughs) on my list. Oh, my
0: God.
1: Yeah. And, and, and yet after about 10 years, I looked up and thought I have gotten everything that I had wanted that I thought I needed. And yet this, my soul feels so empty. And then when I gave it all up, uh, and just started asking for peace, and whatever was supposed to happen would happen, whatever that was. And I wish that on eleven eleven every time I saw it. Then the most amazing things started to happen. And then when I found your work, I'm like, oh, this is the language to articulate what happened there. Wow. And yeah, the living example. I, I when you write, I just resonate so deeply because I have lived it, and I know what you're doing works. What I did did not work. <laughs>
0: well, it worked on a certain level you know there's there's this uh writer Matt Kahn who has him uh, yeah he has he has some very funny lines that are so apropos and he has this line where he calls it the flaw of attraction (laughs) and I love that I just heard about that this week because I thought it's not that it is inaccurate to some extent whatever you focus on does begin to some extent to manifest but there's this whole other part of the story which is that if only the ego is leading And not the great self, you end up with a lot that isn't necessarily for the soul's greatest good and helps connect them with the emptiness that comes, and including also the feeling that sometimes people can be so focused on trying to get those wish lists, and then those things don't come anyway because they're not meant to in a given lifetime, and then the person comes and they're so filled with, you know, shame and they think they're doing something wrong and blame. So you're the example of somebody that, you know, you were successful at it, but I was dealing for years with plenty of people that were being told, oh, you know, you didn't get that particular job, you must have blocked it, when in fact, that may have not been part of their, that job may have not been part of the destiny that's, life, because the divine actually had a different door.
1: That the person
0: wasn't even open to seeing because they were so busy saying what had to happen.
1: Yes, and that's one of the things. When when I started reading and, and listening to your work, and this this is a concept that of course is placed big in, in It's Not Your Money, the book we're discussing today. But this idea or the the law of parabda karma, and I thought you cannot I don't. You can't have the law of attraction without considering the law of Parabdha karma. And there, to me, there's so much more peace in the Parabdha karma than there is small self law of attraction.
0: Well, it's like it's like both things are true. That's how I would see mm-hmm. it. The, the 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 madness comes when the law of attraction is seen as the ruling principle in the entire universe. When right. in fact there are all these different laws that rule what makes the universe the universe. And so one of the key ones is that there is this law of Parabdha Karma, which is that every soul has an individual curriculum that he came to earth to learn about. So if you keep telling somebody every thought you have comes true, every wish is meant for you, focus hard enough and you'll make it all happen, that's actually only true if you're ignoring, (laughs) it's really not true, because this law of Parabdha Karma is saying, well, let's say your deepest wish is uh, to become president of your corporation, when in fact your soul is here to learn how to do something more uh, creative, say, and your soul isn't here to learn about how to have that kind of power. Your soul might be here to learn to be a designer, and so you keep being blocked from becoming that top of the heap because the, the soul level keeps saying, well, actually, you have tremendous creativity that won't get explored in that job. So that kind of thing goes on all the time. It goes on with illnesses where somebody says, I did every spell and wish in the world and I still have this. Why is it? Often it's because the karma think there's still something to learn from having it. It's right. It's the curriculum of the soul.
1: Yeah, and I love the story that you share in the book. I'm sure many people have heard this, but the, the um, do you mind sharing about Jim Carrey?
0: <laughs> oh, I love that, yeah. So, I mean, this was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but he had come out with that thing that he had written a check to himself. I think it was for $10 million, and he put it in a book. Uh, this was before he became a big name, and then... You know, his life unfolded, and he became the actor and comic that he is, and then he found the check again, and he said, Oh, wow, look at this. Anybody can write a check to $10 million to themselves, And because what you think is what will occur. You'll be like me, and you'll come into that money. But what I'm saying in the book, which I mean this is no offense to Jim Carrey, because I think he's great. But that, that was his karma. His yeah. karma was to write that check, get that ten million dollars. Doesn't mean that every single person who writes that is meant to get that ten million because again, to go back to Pirahda karma, what if somebody's life lesson is to learn to trust that they will have enough? What if their life lesson is to learn to move with the flow and that that $10 million would actually be the last thing they need because yeah. it would give them a false sense of security or, or even like some of my clients that when I used to have individual people, they had that money and they just worried every minute about losing it. So it brought no peace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned Tosha there. I, I want to back up a little bit oh, because. Yeah, you've done over 30,000 readings, and that was another thing that I really enjoyed also for those out there who are considering, as we talk today, um, exploring the Living Outrageous Openness Forum that Tosha runs, and you can, again, go to our website, Toshasilver.com, and you can find out more. But you you have um, obviously a very wide range of knowledge around astrology, and uh, but it's also a very positive outlook of how to apply these planetary influences to our lives. So I'm just curious, you know, so we're talking about some yogic texts or some some ancient uh, texts here with Parabdha Karma. We're talking about 30,000 astrology readings. So how, how did you come to do this work and bring it all together?
0: Well, you know, I stopped doing the astrology readings back in 2012 and even though, like you're saying, in the forum and in writing that i do online you know i'll reference astrology at times because it's just a useful tool for seeing the lay of the land you know like when it's to me when it says in the bible there's a season for everything there's a season for love there's a season for you know to be separated that those kind of things come out of the movement of the stars, and that even you know it's even then the good jesus and the wise men there's you know, many people believe that they were astrologers. So I've seen the efficacy of astrology, but what I was finding when I back when I did all those readings um, is that people, how can I put this, they were living in so much fear of what the stars might do next, or they were so fearful that they wouldn't step into the destiny that their chart showed, or... They were, you know, as we're talking, very focused on the law of attraction and they were scared that their wishes weren't going to happen or that if they did happen, they would lose them. And so what started to really come for me, I think it happened over the course of 30 years, starting in my 20s, is this exploration of how do you take these ancient texts, some of it is from, you know, the Vedic scriptures from India, some of it is from Buddhist beliefs about just the nature of impermanence and suffering. That it was for me it really became how do you take these texts that people think are so esoteric and uh, unreachable and you make them practical, like this is how to live this. That that's always been the issue for me and I'm a Capricorn, I'm very practical. So I just don't think that spiritual teachings are that interesting unless you can actually have tools to really live them. They're just a lot of nice ideas. And that's what the books became. Is how do you actually hand everything to the force of love and really get out of the way? And there's, I found ways to learn how to do it that anyone can do.
1: Yeah, and, and then, so that brings up the question, you know, I've I've read your other books, of course, I've been a member of the forum, and then with this latest book, I'm curious, why did you decide to specifically address money? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. Well, you know, what I thought I was writing, this is a good connection to this whole topic of, like, when you are really handing things to the divine, you don't know what's going to happen next, because you're saying, get me out of the way bring the highest plan, not just my agenda. So I thought I was just going to write a book about the topic of offering, how to give everything to the divine, because what was happening is after the earlier books came out, people were still writing me saying, I kind of want a how-to book of how do you offer, how do you get out of the way. But what ended up happening as I was writing that book is that I taught an online class that actually was called It's Not Your Money. And I never had any plan to write a book about it, but people at that time were sending so many questions into the forum and into my website in general about financial dilemmas. And over and over they were saying, how the heck do you apply this to money? So Mm -hmm. I ended up teaching this eight-week course called It's Not Your Money, and basically the world exploded. Like it was like from teaching that the level of engagement that people were like, wow, if you learn how to do this with money, you can basically do it with anything. Right. And so that was the message. And people were like, now you could, you know, write a book called, it. you know, it's not your job. It's not your partner. It's not your divorce. It's like, you know, because <laughs> If you learn to do it with money, you can do it with anything. So it became, in the end, the perfect container for teaching people how to offer.
1: Yeah. And so I know you have received perhaps some pushback on the title. Like, what do you mean it's not my money? It's my bank account. My name is on it. So how do you explain that? Well,
0: it's great because I actually have it in the book that I went, I think it was at the time that I was teaching the course, I was on somebody else's radio show, and she did exactly that, and she's like, are you nuts? Like, if my car gets towed, who's, is, am I just going to, like, go to bed and hope that God gets my car out? Like, but, but I think that the nature of all of this work spiritually is paradox. And we're not taught a lot, especially in the States, about how to embrace paradox. There's a lot of black and white yes and no thinking, especially nowadays. But... To me, when you take something like it's not your money, what you're really saying is yes, on one level, of course it is your money. You're being, you have it to take care of it, but I would say on behalf of the divine. It actually is part of divine flow, and that's the nature of the whole book, is that there's something larger that is the container for all money and all wealth and that is divine source and it embraces all abundance all everything and that anyone can learn to become a part of that flow so you're actually learning how to be abundant as opposed to how to get it and so in the context of that then the things that come of course you're taking care of them because You've been entrusted by love to take care of them, but it's very different than thinking, oh, it's all mine, and what if I lose it, and what if I'm in competition with this person and that person? The idea of competition starts to go away. You start to be able to
1: Exactly, and you know, before we go ahead and take our, our break for the show, I am curious because you just mentioned it, and we mentioned it in the um, in the teaser at the beginning of the show. But the idea of becoming abundance instead of chasing it—what does it look like to be abundance?
0: Well, I think you know, it's it, to be honest, it has very little to do with whether several million dollars is in the bank account. <laughs> I think that what it really is is learning to rest in divine source, in that idea that there's almost like a cushion of support. And this could sound crazy if the person's never thought of it this way, but it starts to come as the person does the steps that are in the book. I've gotten hundreds of letters at this point that this is happening for many, many people. You start to come to rest in this idea that what is needed will come and the action to be taken will be shown and in a sense you almost start to get emptied of the ideas that are not helpful that are limiting that are restrictive that are toxic things start to leave that you no longer need to create space for what is needed and so you actually learn to become almost like a conduit for what wants to arrive. And so there's a a quote that I love at the beginning of the book that says, be the one that everyone's luck changes when you walk in the room. Mm. And I've been getting letters from people saying, this is starting to happen. The more that I use this book, the more I use these tools, something more expansive is making these miracles happen through me not because I'm trying, not because I'm staring at a vision board, but simply because I now know how to get out of the way and let what wants to come through me come through me, so all of a sudden you find you're talking to somebody that later they're like, oh, my God, those words you said changed everything for me. Or you do some action and you don't even know why you're doing it, and later you find out all the ramifications that came of your action. I think that's what starts to occur, you become an embodiment of abundance, and anybody can learn to do it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I just have to say, Tosha, even as you're talking right now, and I, um, uh, I it, it's interesting because I have guests on the show who are spiritual channels, and I've often heard many of them say that that not only are the words important, but there's an energetic transmission or there's a vibrational experience that's happening. And I know that's not what you're doing right now necessarily, but I have to say hearing you talk and reading the words All of the things, I just feel this sense of peace. And the way that you describe it in the book, one of the ways is, you know, it's like getting the 400-pound manifesting monkey off your back. Yeah. and and I really feel like just hearing you talk, it is a vibrational experience that just, it's like a breath of relief. Like, oh, there's something else that can move through me so I don't have to be in charge of the whole world and boil the ocean and all of the other things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so true. It's really... There's a, you know, that line, I don't even know who it's from, that says that you can retire from being general manager of the whole universe. (laughs) It pretty much says it. And then you actually become effective. That's the paradox. When you retire from that job, then you can actually be used in a very effective way for what your particular paratha karma
1: is. Exactly. And there's so much peace in the idea to me of parotic karma um, as well, not in a restrictive way like this is going to happen to me, but you know we still live in a planet of free will. But to know that there is a divine plan and we can show up for that uh, is really nice. And I will say also before I forget, the other concept that I that is one of the big topics in the book or ideas in the book um, that was very again peace generating for me. I'd always, for example, my ex-husband was very successful, very wealthy, and I always thought he was my source. And this idea of the divine being the source, other than anything else is just a conduit, but that source is my source, not my husband, not my job, not the things. And there, again, so much peace in that.
0: Yeah, yeah that's a huge one, I think. And, uh, you know, there's a number of stories in the book of uh say, somebody who got out of a difficult marriage and they couldn't get out of it initially because they just kept saying, how will I survive, how will this happen? And as they began to not only put their focus on the divine as the source, but also release the anger and the resentment towards the person that they were leaving, it created this opening for divine source to begin I, mean, I think there was a woman who was an engineer who's in the book, and it was like, you know, she just kept saying, I, "I'm so angry at my ex. I'm so angry at my ex," and nothing in her life was flowing. And when she began to move into the kind of things that we're talking about, all of a sudden, she knew the divine as her source. She had no reason to be mad at the at the ex anymore. It was just karma that was over, and all of a sudden, this job came that paid her three times what she'd ever gotten before because she was ready to let the divine bring the money however it wanted to bring it instead of saying, you know, you need to be sending more child support or whatever was just not working.
1: Exactly. And I'll just I'll read a quote here from um, relating to divine source. And I want to it's a story that's not mentioned in this particular book. But I wanted to emphasize it since I'm in the Bay Area now, and I know you're in San Francisco, and it's a pretty good example. But okay, so uh, here's the quote, if you think the divine, if you think of the divine as your ultimate protection, the source of your work, finances and all needs, Then even the economy becomes irrelevant, as insane as I know that sounds, but stick with me for a bit. You lift your vibration above the turbulence of the current economic reality into the capable hands of that from which all things come. And you finding housing in San Francisco is such a perfect example of this because everyone's like, oh, you can't find anything. It's all astronomical. There's nothing available. It's, you know, all of the things. And you share a beautiful story around finding an apartment that, or a condo that you lived in for quite some time that was just yeah. perfect.
0: Yeah, it's true because, you know, what you're basically saying, Like, there's a part, I think it's an outrageous openness. There's a story called Without God. And it's like, you know, when somebody says, well, you'll never find parking there, and I always think, without God, you'll never find an apartment without God. So as soon as somebody starts in on me with all that, I'm just like, that's true with one massive caveat. If your consciousness is matched to the level of everybody else's fear, anxiety, competition, and worry, then yes, that is where you will be. If you lift it out of that into the place of divine source, then what you're saying is, I'm open for the most exalted solution. I don't need to tell you what it's going to be. I don't need to hammer you to tell you over and over what the outcome needs to happen. I'm just saying I am available to be a conduit for the most exalted solution. And over and over, they just come in the nuttiest way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um let me see. Benny, how are you feeling about a break? I'm not sure if he's around or not. We'll go ahead. Let's keep talking, Tosha. And yeah, we'll Kathy. yeah. Okay, yeah. awesome. Awesome. Okay, so where do we want to go next because I have so many questions I want to ask you. Um I trust
0: so you. you're you're doing great. So wherever <laughs> you take me. I'm I'm in your kayak here.
1: Oh, I love that image. That's awesome. Yeah. So another thing that comes up a lot, and I think that when you, at least I found this in my experience, when I opened up to this, there was this rational concept of, okay, I'm offering it, but there was still to me a little bit of baggage for me around being open to receiving, like feeling like we deserve to receive. And I, maybe this would even be a beautiful time if you would love to uh, share the uh, full abundance change me prayer because yeah. it really addresses that. Or how do you how do you counsel people around the ability to receive when some of us don't have that muscle quite up to strength yet?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think it's it's what you just said. It's a muscle that can be built up. I mean, I'm somebody that goes to the gym a lot. I love to work out and do things, and you know, the body will respond you work with it and so this you know a big part of the money book is part of it is letting go of what you don't need and the other part is building up the muscles that are critical to becoming part of this flow becoming part of this abundant flow and so part of it is the recitation of this prayer that um I don't know, it it came to me many years ago when I was sitting in the bathtub and I was like crazily scribbling it down and getting, you know, the ink was mixed with the water from the bathtub. (laughs) But, you know, it was like one of those moments. And maybe if I read it, people can just get a feeling of, of what it says. So, Divine Beloved, allow me to give with complete ease and abundance, knowing that you are the unlimited source of all. Let me be an easy, open conduit for your prosperity. Let me trust that all my own needs are always met in amazing ways and that it's safe to give freely as my heart guides. And equally, let me feel wildly open to receiving. May I know my own value, beauty, and worthiness without question. Let me allow others the supreme pleasure of giving to me. May I feel worthy to receive in every possible way. Change me into one who can fully love, forgive, and accept myself so I may carry your light without restriction. Let everything that needs to go, go. Let everything that needs to come, come. I am utterly your own. You are me. I am you. We are one, all is well.
1: Hmm. I mean, if you don't feel peaceful after reading that prayer, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what will do it for you. <laughs> well,
0: and I think it, if you think of the cumulative effect, when you do it, a lot of people are using the book uh, the way it was designed, eight weeks straight. And when you do that prayer every day for eight really wild things start to happen. Like, those parts of the being that have been taught, yeah, you don't deserve to receive. Receiving is selfish. And who are you to think you deserve to receive? And all of that, it just starts to fall away. And yeah. so there's a lot of people that are, you know, they read it in their own voice. Some people have made recordings of it. And they're just, it changes her whole approach, and there was a woman who wrote, who said, all my life, I always thought, I have to make it happen, if I don't do it, nobody else will, and she said, I'm really seeing now how I wasn't even open to help, I thought that receiving help was weak, and she goes, you know, who knew that God might want to use all these people to help me, and that that would actually be tremendous strength
1: learn how to receive that yeah yeah and that was something um after finding your work that i've incorporated i have kind of a regular you know some regular topics or affirmations some prayers that i hit on a pretty regular basis and one of the ones that i incorporated uh which i learned from you because i feel like i was kind of on the side of the coin where i didn't feel worthy of receiving like surely i should have to work a lot harder for this (laughs) not just by virtue of me just showing up on this planet do i deserve anything uh-huh. Um, and yeah, so I have incorporated, I'm saying this for anyone out there listening who maybe right. feels similarly. Um, I say in my prayers and affirmations, you know, uh, I receive, uh, every day it gets easier for me to receive. May it be easier for me to receive and just variations of that, that feel soft and like they are an opening. And I try to do a big inhale and receive the oxygen that, nourishes my cells and if i can do it in that example then i can allow in money and love and support and all of the things that oh divine beloved will provide if we are open to it
0: yeah it's true i mean one way to look at this i'm thinking about the way you were describing it is this is really allowing the feminine side of the nature to coexist with the masculine instead of the insanity. That our culture has of only valuing the masculine. You know, like we're all both. To my Mm -hmm. mind, this is, you know, and even in astrology, everybody has a Venus and a Mars in the chart. And so it's the masculine part that's like, you have to go make it happen, go get it, be in charge, do it, grab it, get it. Fine, there's times for that. But if you live in a culture that's only about that driven grasping, have a culture that doesn't value and even trivializes receiving, opening, allowing, you get into the mess that we're in on the planet right now. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's very powerful that, uh, you know, people of all genders, it's, but this isn't just like women stuff. It's been having just so many people say, I realize that this other side of the nature has to come in in order for there to be balance. Yeah. You have to know how
1: to give, but
0: you have to know how
1: to receive. Or yes. It work. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, Benny, I'm going to check in with you here. Is it okay if we just forego a break? We're already at 9:45. That's fine. Ready? totally cool. Yep. <laughs> awesome. I have not done that. Maybe I've done that one other time in four <laughs> years, Tosha, but I just don't want to give up any time. Yeah, with you, I'm so. happy. I'm
0: happy to keep
1: going. As long as you're okay with that, awesome. Totally. Totally. Well then. That does, what you just were talking about, to continue that, and this has been one of the questions um, that I have, it's finding this beautiful balance, and I would love to hear you speak to this. The balance of surrender and offering versus we're in a human body, and maybe it does require leaving our house, or making a call, Or so what is the appropriate balance between that surrender and allowing, and yet taking action, inspired action, when it arises? without doing the push, push, push.
0: Right. Well, that's the thing, is that I think one of the biggest misunderstandings of offering is that it means passivity. In fact, there's some line I read the other day and it made me laugh. It was something about, you know, you really don't know who you are until you're constantly misunderstood. And I thought, (laughs) boy, has that ever been true for me? With whatever my karma is about going out in the world and discussing offering and surrender... I would say that the biggest, most consistent misunderstanding is that it means passivity. And what it actually means, at least in my view, is the relinquishment of attachment so that you're getting out of the way. Like, let's say there's a huge desire that somebody has. Let's say it's a desire for a home, for the, for the right next home. And so they're, they're honest about it. They're in a human form. They know that they're really longing to have a place that they can call their home. Now, if you're doing it with this kind of work, then that longing is taken, and there's ceremonies and practices for it in the book, and offered fully to the divine. And really said, part of, part of the work of this is saying, not my home, I want it, when can I get it, but the home. I'm now creating space for the arrival of the home, the one that is divinely selected by divine source. Very different. So you're making the space for it, and then what that does is that you're opening to be a conduit for the action. So the actions start to come through you. I mean, you can probably tell just from, you know, when you were in the forum or just knowing me, I'm hardly a passive person. (laughs) It's just that you... Start to know when to act and when to wait. The actions begin to arise spontaneously at the right time rather than from a place of fear or fear of loss. You start to know. And, and believe me, which, what often happens with this kind of offering is that when it's time to act, you really kick butt. You sure. know, sometimes it's like, whoa, all right, it's time to move. You're moving in 30 days. Because everything suddenly lines up. You're not just laying there going, "Oh, well, I hope somebody comes and moves me." This is this is empowered action. It just, I would say it's divinely empowered action.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, there's a concept that you talk about um, called the inner sponda, yeah. and yeah, will you describe that? Because when I I can tell when I'm feeling that, and when action comes from that place, it feels good. It feels divinely empowered. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. The sponda. It's a Sanskrit word for like the inner leap. It's, it's like where you, you know, everyone's had that feeling. Like all of a sudden you run into somebody and you get that leap, like wow, we're supposed to talk. Or you get a, you get a, you wake up one day and you're like, wow, I need to call that person or I need to put that ad online. Like that, it's not coming from fear. It's coming from that genuine, intuitive, like a, a burst of energy. And that's the sponda. And the more you do this kind of work, I found the more you start to be able to feel that draw. Okay, go here, move here, do this, do that. Whereas there's a different kind of motivation that comes, like, oh, my God, I should be doing something. So I'll just go make that happen. And then that sometimes becomes a complete mess. And you realize (laughs) that if you'd only waited, you wouldn't have created that whole mess because it only came from fear. Like there's a woman who used the uh, idea of of, um, moving again. She kept offering a move, offering a move. She wasn't, could sense it was coming. And then finally she's like, you know what, I'm just sick of waiting. This place isn't right. I know this in my bones, but I can't just wait anymore. So she basically moved into a rental that was completely wrong in every way. And then she just had to move a second time when the right house came.
1: Oh, no.
0: And we all, But we all know stories like that. We've all done versions of that. It
1: yeah, my marriage would be an example. You no,
0: know, I was going to say, lots of people have done it in the dating world. Yeah. Well, I'm scared nothing that's right will come, and I can't just do nothing, so uh, maybe I should marry this person.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, um, of course, the book – has very practical applicable steps that you do, as you mentioned for eight weeks. And there are some, I mean, these are, these are practical, practical things that folks can apply. Is there anything you want to share with people today? Something that they might be able to take and apply, um, you know, just as we're talking to, 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 continue the work until they have the book.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one is the thing I, I just mentioned it briefly about releasing the my and using the mm-hmm. instead is, incredibly, incredibly powerful. It may sound silly when I'm saying it, but when if you have an issue that's been really torturing you, you know, whether it's a physical problem, whether it's a relationship topic, whether it's a money problem, if you start to say the money and not my money, the bills, the the relationship, the divorce, it's amazing how much space create for the source of love to come in, because it's, it's, it's the tangling of the identity. When the ego starts to find its identity from the problem, it starts to restrict what can occur, and there's like a story in the book about, I believe it's a woman with her rheumatism or her arthritis, and she just kept saying, this arthritis, and it makes my life a living hell, and blah, blah, blah. And she was always saying, my, my problems, my medical bills, my stuff. And so she started to apply these ideas. She started to say, the arthritis, the body's karma, the solution will be picked. And as she began to do this, you can feel it. As I'm describing it, this space began to come in so that she could see that she was more than just this illness. Yeah. She was a conduit for divine abundance and she had this karma in a physical body of this illness that was a pain, but she was more than that illness and that shift started to bring, suddenly people were arriving, they were telling her dietary things she could do, they were giving her the name of an acupuncturist she could go to, these things were arriving that never came before because she had built an entire identity out of the problem.
1: Mm.
0: And that, that is part of how the book works.
1: Yeah, beautifully. And I actually caught myself this week in reading the book and being reminded of that. um, There's a new offering that I I've talked about on the show and I'm, hope to launch that in the fall and it's called Soul Digger. And I was thinking, oh, my program and it's, I'm getting all grippy about intellectual property and how to structure the my program. And I was like, okay, I had to laugh and I was like, okay, this is the divine's program. The program will be this.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, you can't even blame yourself for it. It's the entire language of the culture. Right. But it's almost like having a secret weapon when you know that you can shift that. It, it really is a secret weapon. It's like all of a sudden, you're disentangled, and then all this other opportunity and solutions can come.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know, as we're as we're getting close to the end, Tosha, I want to make sure we cover, there's one particular, there's a whole chapter in the book uh, devoted to this, and it's around being tested. And yeah. I think sometimes, you know, you think about being tested, it feels kind of punitive, or it may be, at least me, and I, again, this probably from my own religious framework from, you know, uh, when I was younger. But, you know, it's a really actually beautiful idea. And you share this, this story about a Zen story about construction of a bridge. And that yes. just really brought it home. Do you mind talking about being tested so people know what to expect if they embark on this path?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, how can I put this? It, 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 it's partly connected to the idea that it's one thing to know these ideas intellectually, and it's, it's another thing to live them. Yeah. And that's the part of me that's so practical. Like, you know, I was witnessing a lot of teachings out there that weren't necessarily having that much to do with how it seemed that the person who was talking about them was living. So I'm like going, wait, this, this something really becomes valuable when you can actually embody it and anybody can learn to embody this stuff but it does i found come through being tested this in the sense of like are you actually living it or are you just sounding good so i think that those those things come like well i could give you an example like you know Please. When, you were, when you were saying earlier in the call that uh, you were you were sort of feeling i guess a certain vibration from having me talk about this work I feel like I was kept from writing these books for 30 years Mm. because there was this force of love that said, well, actually, you you can only go out and talk about this stuff once you're living it. Otherwise, you're just sort of adding to the din that's out there. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, experiences kept coming, let's say, where I wanted something very much it would be blocked over and over and over. I mean, going back to uh, when Outrageous Openness first came out, the first book, and these different opportunities sort of looked like they were coming, like the book was going to be on PBS at one point, and then it was going to be on somebody got a copy to Oprah, and all these things, none of them ever happened. So that I could keep releasing over and over, whose book is this, whose book is this really? can you really write a book called Letting the Divine Take the Lead and keep saying it's your book and this is where you want it to go? So I had to keep having that experience of like, oh, where am I getting attacked? Okay, it's offered back to the divine. It's offered back to the divine. And what ended up happening over time is that it just didn't matter anymore. I don't know any other way to say it. I started to become like those things would be nice, but they just matter
1: anymore. What mattered is
0: that the books belonged to the divine and that they went wherever the heck she wanted them to go. Period the end. But that came out of that testing. So there's a part of the book and I'm not to say I'm still not don't get tested. This is a process I think everybody goes through who uses these ideas. There's a topic called the divine decoy and it's when something comes looks like that PBS thing or whatever looks like it's going to be whatever the ego goes. Oh my God! Everything I've been waiting for, and then God's like, I don't think so. And yeah, and Tosha, happening. we've
1: got less than a minute left, and I just just FYI.
0: No, go. That's all that you know. It, if you're not viewing it from the ego, it's happening to release the grasping.
1: Yes. And so, on that note, I invite you to check out this latest book. It's not your money, and uh, perhaps uh, also accompanying that, go to Toshasilver.com and check out her Living Outrageous or uh, Living Outrageous Openness Forum. If you want to put these ideas and these concepts into practice and have some support, because this runs counter to just about everything the culture is telling <laughs> you, <laughs> then it is vital to have this touch point in your week. So. Tosha, thank you for being on the show today.
0: You are, you've really been one of my favorite interviews, Sunny. You're amazing. So thank you so much.
1: God, that is the best compliment I've ever received. Tosha, thank you. This this interview has been so meaningful to me and such an honor. So I appreciate those words. I receive them with gratitude. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. Today, I've been joined by Tosha Silver. Uh, Have a great weekend, everyone.